Well, hello, Thorn Creek. It's good to see everyone who's at the house of the Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us and be glad in it. Isn't that a good day? Welcome, all of you who are online. Thank you so much for being a part of this service. I'm praying that God just moves in a real special way. Appreciate you and uh, watching this service and being a part of this service, attending this service. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, let's pray, guys. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We humble ourselves before you and and as always, Lord, I just, uh, I just uh, by your grace, ask you to anoint this message, use me. We need to hear a word from you, God. Um, there's nothing that satisfies us more, Lord, than a word from you. So I pray that every soul that's watching online and, and in person hears that word, God. Uh, give me a, a good mind and an articulate tongue, Lord, but this isn't just some sort of a book report, Lord. I pray for your anointing. I pray for the supernatural. I pray for your Holy Spirit to work. And you know where every soul is at. And I pray that you meet that soul at that place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's good to see everyone at church, guys. It's really good. Um, hey, we're in this soul call. Or this soul. You need to pray for me, guys. Pray for me. I just flew in last night. Uh, I was in Texas all week. Uh, for a funeral service. So I appreciate your prayers. I need a little bit of rest, I think. But um, uh, we're in the series called TC Soul, and uh, we're looking today at uh, relationships. And uh, if you go to our front, if you come through the front doors of our church, um, you see our core values on our windows, love, relationships, and transformation. And we just, those are the three legs Thorn Creek Church stands on. Last week, we talked about love and what that meant, and, and we value love. And today, we're talking about relationships. Anybody, anybody need any relationship advice? Raise your hand if you need relationship advice. Type it in the chat if you need relationship advice. If you feel like you don't need relationship advice, I assure you the person next to you feels like you need relationship advice. Um, <laughs> I, I can, I can assure you of that. Um, we all need relationship advice. I'm still growing in my relationship with my, my wife. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've known her for about 37 years or something like that. And, and, and uh, so I'm working through relationships with my kids and people at church and staff and just everywhere I go, I feel like I've got to work on relationships and relationships take a lot of work. Um, I thought about this message and I was praying to the Lord and I was saying, Lord, uh, give me a word. And just as I was praying in the, in the green room, the Lord gave me a word. So I need to share it with you. This is not on the screen, guys. But I thought about, okay, why are relationships so important? And the Lord reminded me of a question that he was asked. Um, a, a, a person asked him, a very religious person asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And his response, and I'm looking at Mark chapter 12, uh, verse 30. He says, here's the greatest commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and all of your strength. So we hear that, and that's talking about our love towards God. And, and then he said the second one, there's a, there's a second one behind it as well. Verse 31 says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love others. So, so Jesus, early on, he says, okay, here's the deal. You, you need to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and that's a I mean, I think all of us would agree that, you know, that's a good goal to, to love like that. Um, but how about loving 
Loving others, how does that go over? Sometimes it's hard, right? We talked about that last week. Relationships take work. I know some of you would, would rather work on this relationship and not work on this relationship, right? Um, I saw a shirt um, in the mountains at, at, a, at the pass. I forget which pass it was, but it, it was a shirt that said, I've been practicing social distancing before social distancing was in. And, and there's some people that are like that, right? It's like, you know what? I'm okay. And though it's, it's easy to have good relationships when you don't work on relationships and when you don't have people around you. It's really easy. Um, but, but clearly in Scripture, Clearly in Scripture, there's this commandment for us to love others. Um, while I was in uh, San Antonio, um, it was incidentally 30 degrees in San Antonio was totally different from 30 degrees over here. I'll just tell you, it, you know, that wet yet humidity just bites you a little bit. Uh, but while I was there, I got to visit a friend of mine. His name is uh, Caleb, and uh, and Caleb, he uh, or Caleb, uh, I call him Caleb. He, I've known him for a long time. When I first came to know Jesus, uh, he was my Sunday school teacher way back. In, in way back in the day, and this would have been uh, way back, <laughs> and he was my Sunday school teacher, and he's the guy who taught me about Moses and Abraham and all the patriarchs you read about in the Bible and Noah, all the famous stories. You know, he, he would talk to me about these stories, and I remember going up into this upstairs into this older church, very small church, and I remember sitting there with him and some other uh, students. Uh, we were all, you know, in high school, or I just graduated high school, I guess. And uh, but I remember learning from him. Just it was like it was like as he opened up the Bible and taught, it was like everything was just coming to life. So now uh, he's at a different place, and God is using him to oversee. Um, many, many churches. He oversees about 40 churches across San Antonio and outside of San Antonio. And here I am up here. God is using me. But it just made me think about that relationship. You know, he took time to volunteer. And let me just say this, those of you who volunteer and work with children or work with students or work with college students, or you're a small group leader, you never know how God will use that time. You never know how God will use that ministry, God could be raising up someone that he's going to use in the future, and you can be a part of it. So so just know God is at work, and uh, when you choose to invest in someone, um, there's there's all kinds of wonderful results that could happen as you plant the seed and and, and you serve God in that ministry. So it's huge. So as I talked to him, I talked about this relationship stuff, and he was telling me how in the early days of the church... It was all built on these relationships. He was telling me about uh, the, these pastors who were more like, they were missional in mind. And, and they would live in Los Angeles, but they would also have a ministry in Texas. And they'd also have a ministry in Atlanta. And, and they would travel across the U.S. and their wives would support them. And, and they would constantly be looking for opportunities to spread the message of Jesus Christ and to start churches. That's what they wanted to do. And he shared this one story of this, uh, th- this missionary who was passing through San Antonio and he was on a train and he only had a 15 minute stop and he contacted the church leaders in San Antonio and said, I only have 15 minutes there. I'm coming from Atlanta and I'm on my way to Los Angeles. But for those 15 minutes, I want to meet you at the train station to talk to you about church planting and ministry and, and, how, and things that I believe God wants to do. And they met, they met him at the train station 
for those 15 minutes. Now, as I heard that story, I thought, boy, we don't, we don't do that anymore. We're really not that passionate about the church anymore. Really, most people aren't. Um, we, we have a different mentality. But I hear the power of relationships, and, and, and it strikes me. Let me just say this. If you want to live a fuller life, then you need to Christ-centered relationships around you to help you think beyond yourself. If you want to live a fuller life, then you need Christ-centered relationships around you to help think beyond yourself. That's the way God designed us and created us, and, and, uh, and, and that's God's plan, not my plan. Um, I'm in my, uh, in my devotions. I'm going through Paul's letters uh, his epistles. So as he's on missionary journeys, he's writing letters to the church in Ephesus or the church, the church in Corinth or whatever it might be. And uh, I, there's a, there's certain sections of these letters where he talks about relationships. And most of the time when we read these letters, we just like speed read over these sections. But if you look closely to these sections where he talks about relationships, you can get a feel for the challenges he was facing when he had relationships. Uh, and, and 2 Timothy chapter 4 um, really gives us a good picture of the kind of challenges he was facing. Um, he's writing, and he says this. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. He's writing this letter to Timothy. He says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Do you hear his desperation? Damas has deserted me. Because he loves the things of this life and has, has gone to Thessalonica. And that's what he says. Do you, know, do you know anyone like that? He says, he says this guy has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and, and he's not with me anymore. He's he, interesting. He uses the word deserted me. Sounds like he's taking it a little personal, don't you think? Like, he, he, not, you, know, you, know, you know what that, you might take that personal too. Uh, verse 11. Um, oh, let me, I've got to finish this. He says, uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalma Dalmatia. And, and so all these people have kind of spread out. And then verse 11 says, only, only Luke is with me. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. You see all these relationships that he has, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. And he's saying, bring him with him. And then he says, I, I, I sent, um, I sent uh, his name is pronounced Tychicus. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also, bring my books and especially my papers. It's like real practical now. He's like, hey, can you bring that stuff? I left it behind. Can you bring it with me? I'm, I'm doing this ministry stuff and I'm working. Could you just, I miss my books and, and I don't want to do that. Verse 14, Paul says, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. But the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him. For he fought against everything we said. Alexander. Verse 16, he says, The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. Look at his heart. Isn't that a beautiful heart? But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety to, for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. 
Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and, and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. So you look at this section of Paul's writings and, and you see these relationships. Like Paul needs Timothy. He's like, Timothy, I need you. Do you have anyone in your life that's just like a spiritual encourager in your life? You know, there's certain people we just like to be around. We love encouragers. Some of you have the gift of encouragement. And let me just tell you, I love hanging around all of you. Because you always are just this. I mean, it could be a cloudy day, and you're going to say something kind. You're going to say something to lift up me or whoever. You just have the gift of encouragement. And Paul is saying, bring Timothy with, with you. Can you do that? Then he says, Demas has deserted Paul, me. And, and, and he says, because he loved the world. So Paul knows what it feels like for someone to walk out on him. Paul knows what it feels like for a brother to say, I'm in the fight with you, and then they leave you. Paul knows what it feels like to be abandoned. And then he says, Luke is loyal. Luke is loyal. I, 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 we, we, have a, we have Luke's in this church. I'll tell you that. We have Luke's in this church. We have Luke's show up to, to, to serve in the guest relations ministry, to serve in the kids ministry, in the worship team, uh, in all the ministries we have, the youth ministry, and all the other ministries, we have Luke's that show up. Luke's are just loyal. They, they may not talk a lot, but they're going to be there. Their actions say, say more than their words. They're just, they, they just back up whatever they say they do. And then, then Mark, uh, he, he said he's going to be a help in ministry. Mark helps carry the load. Mark doesn't just watch. He doesn't just give advice. Mark like is, okay, let me help you out. I'll, I'll carry this site. And then you hear this guy named Tychicus. He, he could be trusted by Paul. Um, so he was sent to Ephesus. He's a guy who could be trusted. But then what about Alexander? He said, Alexander did much harm. And then he says, the Lord will judge him. Be careful of him for he fought against everything we said. So it's interesting in this whole situation, Paul is trying to spread the gospel of Christ. He's trying to start churches. This is one of his missionary trips. And so he's trying to do a good thing. And in the middle of trying to do a good thing, he has all these personalities. And some are blessings and some are not blessings. You know what I'm talking about? He's like, he's trying to do this good work for the Lord. And while he's trying to do this good work for the Lord, he has, he has uh, the Timothy, and, but he also has the Alexander, and he also has uh, the Luke, and he has these, these Tychicus or whoever it is, and he has all these people that he has to navigate and kind of manage while he's trying to do this good work for the Lord. Could you imagine that? I want to say this. You know, I thought, incidentally, I thought, what would that look like if we just used like modern day words? Could you imagine, you know, the honesty, you know, so-and-so was a blessing in my life, but that person's not a blessing in my life. <laughs> so-and-so loves the things of the world and, 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 and they're, more, uh, they're, they're more in love with the world than honoring God. And, and, and so-and-so is just divisive and so-and-so is, is just, you know, argumentative and critical and but so-and-so can be counted on. They're going to show up. You can just count on them. I mean, I mean, I love the honesty of Paul. And we're so concerned about that kind of stuff. Isn't it amazing that he puts it in the Bible? I mean, like, it's been read now for generations and generations and generations. Could you imagine how Alexander has felt? <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You know, it's been read, and he's so open. 
I want you to hear this. Some people will walk away out of your life. Some people will walk away. You'll have Alexanders in your life. Some people will just be critical and divisive. There's going to be people that are going to hurt you. That's just, just what happens. And then you're going to have other people that are just going to be able to, you can count on them. You can count on them. I always like to ask this question. How many of you have someone you can call at 3 o'clock in the morning that attends Thorn Creek Church? Not including your spouse. Someone that you can call and say, I need help. How many of you have two people? How many of you have three people that you can call at three in the morning and you just know they love you so much, they will answer the phone. They won't look at caller ID and not answer. They're going to answer the phone and they're going to, they're going to respond. Those relationships make us, make us stronger. I want you to hear this. God works through relationships. I thought about this. I thought about this, how, how God used Paul to minister to the Gentiles and the Jews. And you, you go back even more and you see how God used this other man named Moses to deliver an entire nation, right? Israel out of Egypt. God used Moses. And then when you keep flipping the pages, God used another man named Joshua to, to lead them into the promised land. God, God used this guy. And then, and then you look, even in the prophets, you know, God used a widow to feed a prophet, Elijah. God used a widow. And, and, and when you look in the, in the early or in the New Testament, you see God used a group of men to take this other guy who was paralyzed and put him down the roof in, right in front of Jesus. And Jesus heals a guy, says your sins are forgiven. And he stands up, he says, take your bed and walk. And it, but it was a group of men that God used. God used a young boy who had just a few fish and a few loaves to feed 5,000 plus people. See, throughout scripture, you see God desires to use relationships. He works through relationships. That's his desire. And ultimately, the greatest example is the cross. God used Jesus Christ to redeem mankind. God used Jesus Christ, and it's through him we have the forgiveness of our sins. It's through him we have peace. It's through him. We have ultimately eternal life in heaven. It's through him. So relationships are super, super important. Now here's the question. What happens when the person that you trusted hurts you? What do you do with the Alexanders? What happens with those guys? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, and I appreciate this. He said, one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. And I think that's a, a possibility. Because we can go through life, and after we've gotten hurt a little bit, we can say, you know what, I tried these relationships thing, and you know what, my life is simpler if I don't have relationships. Right? I'm just going to have one relationship because I said I do, or whatever. But that's really the and the ones dealing with my with my kids, maybe. <laughs> but that's it. I'm not going to have any other relationships, and it's really just going to be about me. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, if you if you seek a life of solitude, there's consequences. There's consequences for that decision. And, and he talks about it, the, this idea of, of vanity and self-infatuation and despair. Uh, you become consumed with your own world. You become less sensitive. And in fact, the truth is um, you, you are missing out on opportunities for God to use you to encourage someone else. 
You're missing out, and God is not using you to minister to others because you're not putting yourself out there. You're not putting yourself in a situation where God could potentially use you to speak an encouraging word. You know when Satan attacks? There's three different times when the devil attacks. One of them is after a, a, a great spiritual experience. I can't tell you how many times people are like, okay, man, I, I gave my life over to Christ, or I got baptized, or I shared my testimony, or whatever it is, some great spiritual experience. You know, you got to serve in one of the services, and you felt like God just used you. Well, a lot of times right after that, you're, you're spiritually vulnerable, and the enemy can kind of take your legs out and discourage you, and you thought, well, I thought I was better than that, and I guess I'm not. Another time the enemy attacks is when you're discouraged. The enemy uses discouragement and fatigue. Anyone just discouraged, worn out, tired? When you're discouraged, you're spiritually vulnerable, and the enemy could take advantage of that time. And the other third time, I, the, the other third time that I would see that the enemy attacks is this: when you're alone. When you're alone. When you separate yourself from everyone else, and nobody's speaking truth into your life. And you've, you've built this wall around you and you don't let anybody in and you are utterly alone. There's this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that talks about these states, these conditions. And uh, Paul is writing to these Christians in Corinth. And uh, apparently there was someone who, uh, who sinned and uh, other people paid for the sin. And uh, Paul is giving advice to those who've been hurt. And he says this, I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than, than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. So apparently the church were like in agreement that this person did wrong. They were in agreement that whatever this guy did, and we don't know what he did, but they, were, they sent a message to this guy that it was wrong, that it was actual sin, and, and it was clear they sent him. It's kind of like the scarlet letter. And verse 7 says, Now, however... It is time. Say, say it's time. Can you say that? It's time. There's a time for everything. He says it's time. To what? To forgive and comfort him. Why is that? Otherwise, he may be overcome by, by what church? By discouragement. discouragement. By discouragement. You have to be mindful of that person even when they messed up and, and they know they messed up or whatever it is, and, and the, the Paul is saying, look, church, you know this person messed up. You made it clear. You ostracized them, and you did all that. But you need to, it's time to forgive them and comfort them, this, this guy. Forgive him and comfort him. Why? Because he may be overcome by discouragement. There's such a thing as excessive sorrow. Excessive sorrow. Uh, that, this person is, is in danger of becoming so discouraged. And what happens when you become really discouraged? You stop trying, right? I'm not going to try anymore. I'm not going to, you know, it's just not worth it. You know what? We've gotten past that time and I'm no longer going to try anymore. And the worst state is you become indifferent and you just don't care anymore. Verse 8, he says, so I urge you now. To reaffirm your love for him. I wrote to you as I did to test you and see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgive this man, 
I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. And look at verse 11. It becomes spiritual here. So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Has it ever, you see, when, when, when you... When you, have, um, when you don't show love to someone, you're giving the devil something to work with. When you don't show grace to someone, you're giving the devil something to work with. When, you're, when, you, when, you, when you don't show forgiveness to someone, you're giving the devil something to work with. Does that make sense? There's souls at stake. And any time you hold that grudge or you say, I'm no way, I'm not going to do that, or you cut that person out of your life, you're giving the devil something to work with. Some of you, your biggest problem is you're just giving the devil something to work with all the time. And you're wondering why the relationships aren't, aren't, aren't going well. Well, you, you, you know, the, the best friends are forgivers. Friends know how to forgive. The best marriage is the union of two forgivers, right? That's what Ruth Graham said. And that, that's, that's where it's at. So, so here Paul is saying, look, this guy that all of you are upset at, whatever his name is and whatever he did, you need to show love to this guy and, and comfort this guy and, and forgive this guy because the devil is going to use that. You know what happens when, you know, there, there's some people that just do this. There's some people that just uh, live in hurt. You know that? Something happened in their life and they're just hurt and angry. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it may have happened a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago or 20, I don't know, however long it, was, however long it goes. So they live with this hurt and anger. And then when they, when they manage relationships, if you hurt them over here, you know what they do? They take the hurt that you hurt them and they roll it over here and they lump it into this hurt. So whatever you did over there is rolled on over here and then they say you're just like, Whatever. And they, they, they live like that. And the devil has a hold on their life. And if that's you, the devil has a hold on you. The devil has a hold on you. God wants you to be free. God wants you to love others like he has loved you. Don't you need the grace of God? I need the grace of God. Don't you need the grace of God? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the, the Christian belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. So good. The goal is not to, to uh, insulate yourself. The goal is not to isolate yourself from everyone else. And the goal is not to do that. The, the, you know, it's, it's, it's God's desire for you to be in relationship with others and not just in relationship with people that you like or in relationship that people are easy, whatever it is. God wants you to, God, God wants you to be in, in, in difficult relationships as well. Uh, Paul goes on to say this, you know, he has this philosophy about people and you read about this philosophy in 1 Thessalonians, he says, our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. So he recognizes, you know what, you know, don't be a people pleaser, please God. But then he goes on in Romans chapter 12, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Make it your goal. Live at peace with everyone. And Psalm 133 says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Here's what I've discovered. Our spiritual condition determines our relational condition. Really does. People who have been hurt, what do they do? They hurt people, don't they? If they've been hurt, they hurt people. People who have emotional wounds, they want to wound people. That's what they want to do. People who live with a low level of anger, they want other people to be angry with them. It's not fun being angry alone. Anger anger needs company. People who have an internal conflict, they just want to argue. They just want to argue with someone, and they, they take joy in that. People who live with resentment want others to be bitter with them. Bitterness needs company as well. People who live with a victim mentality are always looking for others to blame. All the time. People who live with pride and arrogance, they always look at other people and think they're just a little bit better than them. People who live with a low self-esteem always look for people to make them feel better. That's called codependency, right? I'm always looking. I'm with you because I I I have such a low self-esteem, so I need to be with you. In the early church, you see this beautiful community, guys. It's beautiful, and I believe it's a picture for us, and it starts in Acts chapter 2. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. We're going to do communion today. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When you look at this community, there's some things that we see in in this community. First of all, you see that they had a new identity. They were in Christers, right? These are people who have been saved. Whole new identity. It's like there's no black or white or brown or whatever color. They are all in Christ. All of us need the grace of God. All of us. Doesn't matter where you live or where you came from, we all need the grace of God in our life. And God desires to have this relationship with us. God wants you to know him. He wants you to experience his grace, his mercy. He wants you to walk in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I was talking to someone and I said, I asked this person, we were just in the car together and I asked this person, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? You want to start a conversation with someone, just ask that question. You want to forget the small talk about the Broncos and how they're not going to win next year either. Just ask them, is Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Because if you say yes, well, there's a lot of ramifications for you saying yes to that. That means you've died to yourself. That means it's not about you. That means you, you love him and you are following his teachings. And these Christians... These new believers that were, you find in Acts chapter 2, they have a new identity. And that's a healthy church. That's a healthy church. 
That's when those who are far from God come to church and they look around and they say, I don't know what it is about these people, but they, they're just different. They have a new identity. Your identity, let me say it differently, your identity is found in Jesus Christ. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in the mirror. It's not found on social media. It's not found through that other person. It's not found in music. It's not found in movies. Your true identity, your best identity is found in Jesus Christ. And it's one of the characteristics of this community. This, these these, these uh, believers in Acts chapter 2, they have this new community. The other thing that you see is they have a keen awareness of the presence of Jesus. Many of them at that time saw him. They were maybe one of the 500 that saw him, but they were just keenly aware of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they're just aware of his presence. They're aware that, that, that he has a mission. They're aware that God is moving. They're keenly aware of it. And the third thing I want you to recognize is they have a devotion to the teachings of Jesus. Actually, the teachings of the apostles. So this new community is devoted to, you might say, scripture. They're devoted to, to learning more about what it means to be part of the way. They, they, the, the scripture is not just suggestions. They want to grow in their relationship with God. And the other thing you see in this community is there's this incredible spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation. They're learning the gospels for Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised. Doesn't matter. They're learning what that means, and there's this incredible spirit of grace and reconciliation that's just permeating this community. And the other thing you see in this community is they have this anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. They utterly believe Jesus is going to return. So they're living their life every day. And many of them, when you look at history books, many of them are actually, actually convinced that Jesus is going to return in their lifetime. In their lifetime. And that's why they do such radical and extreme things. Because they live like that. You know, Jesus is going to return. There's a second coming of our Lord. And we need to live with that kind of anticipation. So that when Christ comes, he finds us faithful. He finds us righteous. He finds us obedient. He finds us holy. He finds us doing what God wants us to do, we're actually working and doing meaningful things that matter in heaven. We should be found doing the work of the Lord. We look forward to the return of Christ. And the early church modeled that. The other thing that you see in this early church is this. They were committed to fellowship. One night or one morning a week, a Sunday morning, was not enough for these guys. Just not enough. They were committed to doing life with each other. And it was way more than a potluck where you bring your best apple pie or pumpkin pie, although that sounds really good right now. Whatever it is, it was way more than that. It was like, we're going to do life with each other, and your problems are my problems, and my joys are your joys, and we're just going to lock arms, and we're going we're gonna to do life together. One of the things I love about Thorn Creek Church 
And if you're online, you should know this. But it doesn't matter what time the service ends. Doesn't matter what time the service ends. A few weeks ago, I preached a really long message. You probably didn't even notice. I'm sure you didn't. But it was a really long message. It was a long message. I think it was over an hour. I think I broke a record. And I hear about it when I do that. Just know that. But I broke a record. And do you know, after that service, we had so many people just stay to talk. Isn't that beautiful? I'm I'm not going to preach an hour right now, but I'm I'm just saying it's beautiful how we enjoy each other and have fellowship, and it's even more important to continue that fellowship every day. How are you doing? Texting your brother or your sister in Christ and saying, how are you doing? Hey, I'm praying for you. Encourage, get involved in other people's lives and say, how how are things going? Let's get past the small talk. What What can I pray for you? How was your week today? How was your day today? That's the early church. They loved fellowship. The other thing they did was this. They prayed often. They prayed often. We're in the middle of 21 days of prayer. Go to thorncreek.church slash 21 days and join it. But they prayed often. It was just part of their DNA. They did that. And the other thing you see in the early church, the last thing I want to share with you is this. There was a spirit of generosity. That's what made them different from the pagans that were out there. Everybody else was involved with sexual morality and and they were consumed with, with greed. But the early church, they honored their body because they really felt like the Holy Spirit lived inside of their body. And the other thing they did was they were generous with their money, which is totally opposite from the world. That's how they lived. So when you look at this early church, I look at that and I say, I want, I want to be part of that church. I want to be a part of church that loves like that. I want to be a part of a church that, that, that shows grace and mercy like that. I want to be part of a church where I know when I'm down, someone's going to pick me up because I'm just tired. I want to be part of a church where someone's going to pray for me and someone's going to encourage me and someone's going to lift me up. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, Christianity means coming through Jesus Christ, excuse me, community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. That's what Christianity means. You can't take it out of it. It's part of it. You can't take it out of it. I think here's our problem today, church. Not just, I mean, in the, we have a secular view of church. That's our problem. When we look at church today, we look at it like our favorite restaurant, maybe. And our commitment to the church is about it equivalent to as long as the, you know, the burgers are good, I'll keep going. That's about it. If I get bad service, I'll stop going. Our commitment to the church is totally different because we have a secular view of the church. The early church, the church was the nucleus of their community. It was the nucleus of their home. It was the nucleus of their faith. You couldn't separate it. Well, today we separate it. Today we say, well, I have church over here and I can find a church anywhere. And this is my faith over here. That's a secular view of church. You're looking at it like a consumer. 
and you're saying, as long as they do this or this or this, I'll continue. But you know what? Every church is the same, or I can find a church anywhere, whatever it is. And we don't look at it as an integral part of our faith. And the early church, it wasn't a secular view. It was essential. It wasn't a non-essential. It was essential to their walk with God. Timothy Keller said, there's no way you would be able to grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. How involved are you in the church? How deeply committed are you in the church? Now, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm talking about your commitment. I'm not talking about your commitment through your spouse. We're not talking about your spouse and how much they serve. We're talking about you. How, in, how, how deeply committed. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with what Keller is saying. Your spiritual life will grow as you deeply commit into that biblical community. Your life will grow. And God will use you to minister to others. There's a difference with attending and participating. There's a difference with just being present, but actually engaging. There's a whole other, It's not enough to just attend. The church is designed to help you and love on you and support you and encourage you and build you up and help you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. It's a place where you should experience love and grace and mercy. And it's that agape love that we talked about last week. It should be completely different from the love of the world. That's what made the early church so unique. The way they loved, the way they, the way, the way they worshiped, the way they did life together, the way they fellowshiped was all completely different. Galatians chapter 6 tells us, dear brothers and sisters, if any believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful. Say, be careful with me. Be careful. Not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So here you see one of the responsibilities we have in the church is we have a spiritual responsibility to help out others that we see going down the wrong road. We have a spiritual responsibility to talk to them about whatever issue they might be going through. We have a spiritual responsibility to say, hey, you know, let, let me help you with this, and, and you're not alone, and I'll be praying for you. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. I think about, like, what does that phrase, love each other deeply, mean? What does it mean to you? I think it's more than, I like your post. I think it's a little bit more than that. I think it's more than uh, whatever. I mean, I, I, think, I think there's a genuine co concern about your spiritual welfare. I think it's a genuine concern about your soul. I think it's a genuine concern. I think that's one of the challenges we have in churches today. Because we have a secular view of the church, we're also, we're also very cautious about talking to someone about what we see. Because we don't want to offend them, right? We don't want to cross that line. And, and here's the problem that I see as a pastor. When we choose not to talk to someone about their, their pride or arrogance or, 
or whatever vice that they're going through, whatever it is, and we live, leave them alone because we might say to ourselves, it's not, it's not my business. I, I don't, I don't want to get involved in that. But here's what happens, and I've seen it so many times. Eventually, what they're going through is, is uh, there's no healing. There's no one to help them through it. They don't talk to Christians. I believe we should talk to Christians. Um, and, and they don't talk to the right person, and they talk to the wrong person. And eventually that thing that they're battling with eventually gets a hold of them and gets better of them down the road. Love each other deeply. In Thessalonians, Paul says, encourage each other. Build each other up. Just as you're already doing. In Ephesians, Paul says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with what church? Make every effort. Make every effort. And the last verse I want to read is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God forgave you. Well, our desire here, guys, is we want to be the kind of church where people show up and they see our relationships are different. We manage relationships different than the world because we're Christians. That's what should be different. And, and, and God will use you to minister to someone else if you let him. God will use you to encourage someone else if you let him. I want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at. Maybe, maybe you're attending, but you're not participating. Maybe you're here, but you're not here. Maybe, maybe whatever it is, you know, you, you, you're learning, but you're not doing, and you're not practicing. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to engage. Flaws and all. The church is imperfect, and yet she's called holy. That beautiful? It's the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ, and it's a picture of the body of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take that step. Well, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And if you uh, would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just say this? Would you say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart right now. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins as best as I know how. I want to become a Christian right now. So be Lord of my past and present and even my future. Teach me to walk with you. Others of you might need to say this prayer. Lord, help me to love others. I know your word says you want me to love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as myself, and I just need help with that. So help me, Lord. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you for the good people that are here. Thank you for the good people that are watching online. Have your way in every heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.